0: So, as we said, we're in our study in Ephesians, what does it mean to be in Christ? And we're looking at that from a variety of different angles. Uh, and this morning, we're going to go back and, and briefly revisit a passage in Ephesians chapter three, and we're going to ask the question, what, what bearing does the love of Christ have on our giving? I read a really wonderful story recently that, that spoke to this in a very practical way, and I want to share it with you this morning, but as I read it in my office, and I, uh, being the unemotional guy that I am, was in my office kind of crying while I was reading this story. I said, there's no way in the world I'm going to get through this. So I've actually asked a friend to come and, uh, and help us with this. this Scott Holly's is going to read some of this story to you this morning.
1: It was a cold day, the kind you don't really want to have a long conversation outside with someone, especially with someone you don't really know. But that's exactly what happened to 20-somethings Lance and his wife Amy outside a restaurant in their town of Franklin, Tennessee. The two had just finished lunch and were walking to the car when they recognized a couple they'd seen before at their church. They all stopped briefly and started talking. The issue of money came up as they chatted about a new financial small group class at their church, Soon, Lance acknowledged that he and Amy had paid off about $60,000 in debt, but still had $10,000 left to go. The older couple asked them what they would do when they were debt-free. At first, Amy laughed about the trampoline they'd promised her young kids, but then she invited that their real dream was to adopt another child. However, they were committed to be debt-free before they did so. Then, quickly, the conversation shifted to lighter things, and before everyone knew it, it was over. Both couples went on their way. The next day, Lance got an email at work from the older couple asking if they could come by his house and talk about something important. Lance was skeptical. Perhaps this, this is going to be some sort of pyramid marketing scheme, he thought. <laughs> Still, he agreed to their request. After work, they all met at Lance and Amy's house and went through the obligatory small talk. But then the unknown couple dropped a bomb. They wanted to pay off Lance and Amy's $10,000 debt so the young couple could ad- adopt immediately. How do you spell your name, the older woman asked as she got out her checkbook and began writing. Lance thought, are you kidding me? Are you for real? Who does that? Who writes a check for $10,000 as somebody they don't even know? Smiling, the couple j- told Lance and Amy, just don't tell anybody it was us and don't act weird toward us at church. <laughs> and then they drove off. Lance and Amy stood there for 10 minutes in total shock. Then they cried and screamed and ran all over the house and yard. It was unbelievable. It was beyond belief. Nine months later, when they brought their new adopted daughter, Mela, home, they realized that the check the couple had given them was dated exactly nine months prior to Mela's due date. The $10,000 gift was made right at the time their daughter was conceived. As Lance recalled, it was like God was saying, I have a baby out there for you right now. I'm not waiting around another two years for you to pay off
0: that debt. You can see why it was a better part of wisdom for me not to try to tackle that. (laughs) story. There's a lot of love in that story. There's, there's love of, of the couple that wanted to get out of debt, not so they could, yeah, they're going to buy a trampoline for their kids. We get that. If, if you're parents and you want to provide something like that for your children, of course you understand that, but they wanted to get out of debt in order that they could share their love with others. And then this, this uh, couple that didn't really know them, but sensed that there was an opportunity here and and out of love for christ they responded accordingly now the moral of that story is not if you're in debt uh and jesus will have somebody meet you in the parking lot after church <laughs> uh, i think that that would be uh the wrong takeaway there are plenty of times when that doesn't happen for god's purposes as well and perhaps we struggle through uh, some hardships uh, because god's wanting to teach us something so clearly one size doesn't fit all here but but the notion of the love of christ speaking into that situation, I think is important for us uh, as Christians to consider this morning. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, what what does it mean for the love of Christ uh, in your life when it comes to your giving and when it comes to mine? Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21, hear the word of God. and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, or all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together for a moment. I invite you to just take a second and quiet your heart and ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. Father, as we consider what it means for us to be in Christ, many of us in this room profess to be disciples of Jesus, profess to be Christians. Lord, if that is the case, then it, it, it's truly vitally important that we understand our relationship to Jesus Christ and the relationship we have with you through him. And Lord, it's equally as important that we understand the practical realities of that relationship, that it isn't a a Sunday morning relationship, that it isn't a, a couple of times a week when maybe we pick up our Bible, but that it is the defining relationship of our lives. And our maturity in that relationship or our lack of maturity in that relationship has a specific impact on how we choose to live the decisions that we make in, in so many different areas with our friendships, with our marriages, with our uh, parenting, with, with being a child in a, in a family, with our finances, with, with our, our thought lives and our actions, our attitudes, our casual time, our serious time. Lord, all of that uh, you speak to when you tell us that we are in Christ. And so, Father, give us teachable hearts this morning. Give me a teachable heart this morning, Father. Pray that you would would not allow us to be prideful or to be dismissive of your word. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of your teaching today. Lord Jesus, we want to hear your word. It's why we're gathered here this morning. So we pray that you would speak to your people. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, in terms of how the love of Christ impacts our giving, I think that this passage points us to this truth. Our giving reflects the degree to which Jesus' love is transforming our lives from our control to his. So I've chosen that word reflects carefully. It's not an end-all, be-all. This is not a sermon where you say, well, the pastor just wants me to give some money. As long as I give some money, apparently God will love me and everything will work out right. If if that's your takeaway, I've done a terrible job and you should fire me by tomorrow morning. What this passage, I'm not trying to put an idea in your head. What this passage is, is pointing us to is the depth. Of the profound love of christ and how that should be impacting our lives and so if it's supposed to be impacting our lives then we're supposed to be moving from from our control to his control then our giving will be part of that conversation. It won't be all of that conversation, but it will certainly be part of that. And so Paul says in verses 17 and 18, a couple of important things as we start out here this morning, we want to see. He wants Christ to dwell in our hearts that we may be what? Rooted and grounded in love. So when you you say, if you're a parent, you say to your kids, I want you to be rooted and grounded in X. What you're saying to them is this is really important. Whatever it happens to be, I say, I want you to be fiscally responsible. I want you to have a, a good work ethic. I want you to be a really good student. And I want you to be rooted and grounded in those principles. You're not talking about what sports team they may or may not cheer for. You're talking about the fundamentals of life. And Jesus says as disciples... As those who belong to me, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. Well, whose love? Are we talking about the love that I can offer you or the love that you can offer me? Paul says to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ is what is uh, to control your life and to control my life. If we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, then, then our lives can be transformed. Uh, Gordon MacDonald, who, who has written on this topic, has a really uh, wonderful way of summing this up. He says this, the generous giver is someone whose heart generates love. It is not a sentimental or romantic love, but a love built on compassion and care. A love that is drawn to the broken and fragmented creatures and conditions of our world. This kind of love values human beings as those created in God's image. It is accompanied by a righteous anger at systems and forces that perpetuate the suffering and ignorance of others. The kind of love, uh, this kind of love cannot contain itself when there are opportunities to change lives and circumstances for those unable to change their own situation. That's the love of Christ. We were unable to change our own situation and Christ did it for us. How does that love then become the, how we are rooted and grounded in this world? What can we actually know About the love of Christ. I'm gonna give four observations about what I believe we can know about the love of Christ this morning, and I'm not even scratching the surface. This is not the tip of the iceberg. This is the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Scripture is replete with references about the love of Christ. I'm just gonna mention a few of them, and hopefully, it will whet your appetite a bit. To perhaps as you pray over this pledge card this week, as you consider your giving to do so as a disciple of Jesus who is experiencing firsthand the love of Christ, even in the circumstances in which you find yourself this morning. The first thing I want us to see is that the love of Christ is both generous and sacrificial. I want to go back to a verse we looked at last week, and I can't promise you we're not going to look at it again this week. I think it's one of the defining verses of of my life when I think about my giving, and and Paul says this to the Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you by his poverty might become rich. The first word that, that strikes me there is the word generous the notion that jesus went from rich to poor that jesus gave up heaven and all of its glory and all of all of the praise and worship that he was receiving never in need of anything having everything a- a- that could possibly be needed and he gave all that up intentionally with a goal in mind and the goal in mind was your salvation and was my salvation and jesus was generous with his grace beyond description I was uh, driving uh, close to the Galleria on Friday, uh, early evening, late afternoon, early evening. The sun had gone down. And you remember Friday, it was kind of snowing, kind of, kind of a little bit of rain, and it's kind of that that really, you know, un- unless you spend, you know, $200 on your windshield wipers, it kind of fogs up your window, and it's just kind of hard to drive. And I got off at the wrong exit. I got off on the Brentwood Boulevard exit. I was going south on Highway 170, and as soon as I got off, it, the traffic stopped. Because at the bottom of that exit, there's a stop sign, not a stoplight. Now, I'm going to get emotional about this, so I better be careful what I... We just had an election last week. I hope they elected somebody in Brentwood that will put a stoplight there. But literally, I've I've come to a complete stop. And then it's like inch by inch by inch. And it's raining, and I just want to get home, and I'm so tired. And I get about halfway down the ramp, and there's a person standing there in the rain. What a sign. You know, God bless. anything Anything you could give would help. And uh, I drive Uber every once in a while, and I had about $4 of of Uber tips in my little ashtray there in the middle. And I got closer, and I rolled down the window, and I said, man, I don't know who who ordered this weather, but it's really bad. And I handed her the $4, and she kind of smiled and said, God bless you. And I put my window up, and I drove on. There's nothing about that story that remotely should be talked about in terms of generosity. It didn't cost me anything. There was no effort on my part other than putting the window down and saying something, and and then I drove off, and I went to my warm home, and I went to my loving wife and got in a a, a warm house and turned on the fire, which I didn't have to build. I just flipped the switch, and the gas (laughs) fire came on, and I even got to watch the Blues win a hockey game. (laughs) Can I get an amen? amen? Thank you very much. Okay. As far as I know, that woman stood in the rain all night. I didn't change her life one bit other than maybe to to get her, you know, some kind of meal. That's not generosity. Generosity would be that I park the car and I get out of the car and I get in and I say, "No, this car is paid for and it's yours. And here's the address of the house. It's 631 Nurk Avenue. It's in Kirkwood, just south of the park. And I'm giving that house to you. And by the way, when you get there, everything that's in that house that belongs to you. And then I take the sign and I stand on the street. I've often wondered if I ought to do that sometime is just go stand on the street somewhere and and experience that for a couple hours and see what it's like. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. That's the generosity. Jesus gave up everything. He didn't, he, he he didn't just, you know, kind of roll down his window when he drove by you and said, here's a little bit of grace. He said, you're going to die if I don't do something and I'm going to give the generosity that it takes. That's the type of love that Jesus gives. But it's also sacrificial. That's the second word that comes to my mind when I see this passage. Jesus understood that nothing less would do, that it needed to be an astounding grace, an amazing grace. It needed to be an infinite grace in order to cover your sins and my sins. We're pretty good at sinning. If we really want to admit it, we're, we're pretty good at messing it up. We're pretty good about thinking about ourselves first and everybody else a distant second. We're pretty good at not doing the things we ought to do, but doing the things that we ought not to do. It wasn't going to take a little bit of grace to save you or me. It was going to take an infinite amount of grace. And Jesus gave it sacrificially. He knew that he had to be all in and he did not waver. To be in Christ is to have experienced the generous and sacrificial love of Jesus. But secondly, it's also to experience what I call the risky love of Jesus. I think there were, there were moments where Jesus demonstrated this in his earthly ministry that he wasn't really worried about what people thought about him that he wasn't going to kowtow to public opinion, but that he was going to stay on mission, he was going to stay on task, and that was going to be a risk. i want to give you two examples of that. The first one was a cultural risk. In John chapter four, Jesus is in Samaria, which is kind of crazy in the first place because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Jews were the ones that had the upper hand in the relationship. They were the one that had 90% of the wealth. They were the ones that could look down their noses on the Samaritans and, and be glad they weren't one of them. Have you ever seen somebody said, I'm glad I'm not that person. That's the thought that was continually in your mind. So Jesus is sitting by a well in Samaria. It's the middle of the day. It's hot because it's a desert climate. It's an arid climate. And he's sitting next to a wall and a woman, uh, well, and a woman comes up with a pail and he says, do me a favor, would you give me a drink? And this woman's astonished. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? And it goes on to say, for the Jews hated the Samaritans. A little bit later on, the entire town is surrounding Jesus and they're having a tent revival, although they didn't have a tent, that Jesus is preaching the gospel to a group of people that nobody cared for, that nobody loved. That's, that's a risky cultural barrier to break down. There'd be plenty of, uh, of good, you know, quote unquote, good Jewish folk that would look at Jesus and say, how dare he do something so despicable? And Jesus just kept right on pushing through but not only cultural barriers, but there's also just his individual reputation. Luke chapter 15 is probably best known for uh, the story of the prodigal son. There's a reason why Jesus told that story. And we get that information in the first couple verses of Luke 15, the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him, to hear Jesus. And those were in the Jewish culture. Those were like the really bad people. Those are the people you just, If you were a good person, you didn't hang out Um, They weren't good church folk like us, so to speak, right? And it says the Pharisees, the religious elite, the scribes, they grumbled saying that Jesus is receiving sinners and eating with them. How dare he do such an awful thing? And yet Jesus was willing to break down cultural barriers. He was willing to say, whatever you think of me uh, is so unimportant that I'm going to continue to reach out to those who truly need my grace And my mercy, I have to ask the question, how far am I willing to go? How far are you willing to go? How far are we willing to go for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ? What risk are we willing to take individually and collectively in order to see the kingdom of God grow? I mentioned last week that when I, when I think about the early days of Green Tree and I think about the, the, the risk was a very real word uh, in the first uh, few years of Green Tree. There, there were many moments where I was just like, this, this isn't going to work. This is, uh, I, I said this last week, my family's probably going to be out on the street. Well, you know, this is scary. But there was a group of people that said we're willing to take the risk. There were a group of people that said we want to be generous. We want to make a sacrifice because we believe that the gospel could take root in this place. So here we are now, you know, 20, you know, really almost 22 years away from that, that birthplace. And about a month ago, or that time of when Green Tree was born, about a month ago, I had an opportunity to sit down with four people who experienced those times. They experienced those early days, but they weren't the adult pioneers who, who started Green Tree. They were the, the children of those folks and i want you to listen to a few minutes of their conversation
2: i think being being a part of a small and new church everyone was involved in some way there was not really a way to sit out um whether it was preaching or helping with kids or or greeting people in the morning, it seemed like, or, or playing music, it seemed like everyone was involved in some way, and that was, like, a great, that's a great example of, like, what we can do, the different ways we can worship, the the, the, the different ways we can serve, and I think being part of that small, brand-new church, everyone had to. You were kind of forced to, but but in a, in a good way, a way to serve and, and, and worship in more ways than one.
3: I mean, I'll go away for, like, years of time and come back, so my perspective's a little different, but so exciting and such a testament to what God can do. I think in my head, I kept thinking, like, God knew what He was doing. Like, early, God knew what He was doing. The Lord really built something. And I think going from, like, seeing it from the beginning stages and watching it grow, you just feel like God's, God's in control of this church and He's doing good things.
4: Green Tree was instrumental for me by giving me opportunities to preach, uh, giving me opportunities to speak, uh, giving me opportunities to lead in ways that I was not ready for. Uh, but that did not scare anyone from putting me on a stage and saying, hey, figure this thing out.
5: Well, I think that the gospel brings all of us together as one family. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, Like Jesus went to the least of these. He went to the ones that were um, social outcasts, and he was like, no, like come to the living water. Like I invite you. You know, that is what Green Tree is striving to be.
2: I did. I feel like I've... Done every job you could do yeah. in the church in some way, um, whether it was doing PowerPoint or running sound. I was running sound in, like, fifth grade. I don't know why they <laughs> let me do that. All right, there was, like, I remember one week where I was, like, still wearing my winter coat because it was cold inside, and I, like, reached up to grab something, but my sleeve hit the slider, and the whole church just went crazy feedback. It was like this. It sounded like an air horn, and someone goes, ahoy! I remember that. That was bad. There is more to church than just sitting in the congregation. You know, there's so much you can do to be involved. There's so much you can do to serve in any way you can think of. You know, I, I worked on videos for 2028. 20, I helped in, I guess, the second grade classroom for a year. You know, there's so many different different ways and th- ways you can get involved in ways that, you know, the skills and talents that, that God has given you can manifest themselves in the church and i think my life is certainly richer because of those ways i was able to serve and and those opportunities that green tree provided for me to not just go and sit in the chair for an hour but to really be involved and really help serve those who are are coming visitors who are coming and ways to really display christ-likeness as flawed
4: as it can be you rarely know what is the fruit of our labor what is the fruit of impact what are we investing in what is the outcome of that and i look at where my life is today and I look at the many weeks and the many nights that a Chris Alley or a Zach Fay or a Tom Ricks uh, or Russ Moore spent with me, uh, walking with me through the most hard, difficult, painful places in my life, and I look at the impact it's had on who I am as a father, uh, who I am as a husband, who I am as a friend, who I am as a pastor, and you wouldn't know those things, investing that uh 17, 18, 19, 20 years ago, but I look at where it is today, and it's like, this is the evidence of that. And I think that, you know, so many relationships I still have are from Green Tree in those early days. And we are four stories, uh, but there's so many other stories of peoples whose hearts and lives have been transformed uh, because of the faithful investment in that ministry and the impact that that had on people. Green Tree shut down tomorrow. Uh, communities and people in Kirkwood would grieve because Kirkwood would be worse if Green Tree was no longer there,
3: living in Honolulu, um, I'm in a totally different culture now. I am a minority by a long shot. I'm. It's uh, the majority of Honolulu is Asian or Polynesian. It's it's a different culture than what I grew up in for sure. I would say Green Tree has prepared me well in teaching me that what is important is the gospel and the way I need to look at everything, whether I'm the one who fits in or the one who doesn't, it's about loving people and it's about looking at everything and asking, what would God have me do here? And I think that's what is, Green Tree has done a good job at instilling in my heart. At
4: the beginning stages, it's raw, it's organic. What you see is God brings uh, more and more people with gifts that are needed in that time for that church uh, in that season. And I think that now what I look at is Green Tree is the fulfillment of a vision it began in a, in a living room where people praying, hey, we want to see Kirkwood uh, really be a place where the gospel can go forth, where Jesus can be known. And so I think for me, I've never uh, been intimidated by that growth. I've never been intimidated by that change because uh, it's it's a healthy thing that any church should go through. And and yet God keeps bringing people who are excited about that vision. And that's, that's a wonderful thing to see. It's yeah. not only a
5: place to gather, but also to give, you know, like can't
0: stay in church people <laughs> <laughs> you can for the next few minutes but eventually you have to head out one thing i can promise you uh, 19 20 21 years ago a group of us didn't sit around and say let's plant some seeds so that we can use a video in 2018 of, of these children who will then be adults uh we were we were just trying to you know make sure that that Sunday happened each week. The first, this is the truth, the first year I was pastor of Green Tree Community Church, I forgot Palm Sunday. I literally forgot it was Palm Sunday and our children didn't have any palms, uh, which is not the worst thing in the world that can happen. But point is, is that that any generosity, any sacrifice, any risk that we thought we were taking, we had no idea how that was gonna turn out, but God knew all along. Uh, You know, what Katie said, God knew what he was doing. And the notion that... um, None of those adults are now part of Green Tree Community Church. Mike Rolfing is the only one that lives really close by, and he's involved in City Church down uh, in the city Mike Werkeiser's congregation. But Tim is at one of the pastors at The Journey. Uh, Samantha just finished seminary. She's uh, starting with a counseling practice. Katie lives in Honolulu. Uh, these are stories of what God has done. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what's next? And what are we willing to risk? Are we, are we willing to follow God where he may be leading us, which I think quite frankly is different than where he's led us in the past. I think we're a different church today than we were 10 years ago. And I think 10 years from now we'll be a different church than we are today. But will we commit ourselves to be the church that Jesus wants us to be? He's willing to love with a risky, risky love. Thirdly, Jesus is not only loving in a generous and a sacrificial and a risky way, but he demonstrates a focused love. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, talking about himself, he calls himself the son of man, says to his 12 disciples, the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and on the third day raised. And a little while later in chapter 9, it's as if the disciples, it's not quite sinking into them. So Jesus comes back at the topic again, and he says to them, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Jesus is neither shy nor fickle about his mission. He is on task, and he is going to accomplish that which God sent him to do. Beyond that, in chapter 9, same chapter, a little bit later on, we see the journey actually begin. They're up in Galilee, and Jesus knows that the time has come. The way Luke records it is, "...when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, for him to go to the cross, and to be killed and raised and ascended to heaven, he set his face to go to Jerusalem." Uh, I've preached on this passage before, and the notion that we would say he set his face like flint. He determined. He he made no apology for it. He was going to move forward. Jesus didn't flinch from the effort that love demanded, because if Jesus was going to save us, he needed to love us with an infinite love, and he chose to do that, Veterans Day, and so we're celebrating veterans, and we're thankful for veterans, one of the most famous, if not the most famous Marine Corps veteran is a guy named Chesty Puller, the most decorated military person in all of of U.S. military, not just in the Marine Corps. One of the famous stories about Chesty Puller was in the Battle of Quezon of Reservoir in Korea during the Korean conflict. There's one Marine division that's surrounded by seven Chinese divisions. Literally, they're surrounded. It looks like all hope is gone. And Chesty Puller said to the guys, all right, men, we've got them in front of us. We've got them behind us. We've got them on our right. We've got them on our left. There's no way they can get away from us this time. <laughs> that's an unflinching Effort for that which love demands. Puller loved his men. He loved the freedom that his country stood for. And he was willing to stay after it in in a way that was focused. And that's what the Lord Jesus does. He set his face. This is what I'm going to do and I'm going to accomplish it. Which leads me to the last observation about Jesus' love, that it's an unapologetic love. Clearly, Jesus had enemies in his lifetime. And if we stay true to the gospel, we will too. We don't set out to have enemies. We don't, we don't try to, to be in any way arrogant or rude in a way that, that, that makes people uh, see um, that, that we're unloving. But the gospel draws lines in the sand. And if we stay on mission, there, there will be enemies created. This happened in Jesus' life, and he promises it's going to happen in our life. And, and when the moment came, when Jesus was in front of those scribes and Pharisees that he talked about earlier on, when he, when he had a chance, when they said, you know, are you really claiming to be the son of God? He had a chance to say, oh, there's been a big mistake. Let's just all go home. Let's put this notion of a, of a cross out of the conversation. Let's all just go along and get along. He could have saved his own skin. He could have just, you know, kind of, kind of said, you know what, this is, there's been a big misunderstanding and he could have survived that ordeal. But here's what happens. The hyper said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, and now he says, you got to expand your thinking a little bit, brother. You're thinking too small. So he, he, he talk about salt in the wound, so to speak. He really rubs it in. But I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This bothered the high priest. The high priest tore his robes and he said, he's uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You've now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. They spit in his face and they struck him. Jesus was unapologetic for the gospel. At the ultimate moment, when it really, truly counted, Samantha, uh, one of the folks in the video, Samantha Johnson, said something. There, that, that you saw five and a half minutes of a, of a ninety minute conversation, and and uh, and I'm sorry you don't get to see the rest of it, but Samantha said something. I actually wrote it down uh, after she said it because I thought it was so profound. She said, "The gospel doesn't allow for the self constructed, comfortable, risk free world we try to create." The gospel doesn't allow for the self-constructed, comfortable, risk-free world that Tom Ricks tries to create. The gospel is an unapologetic love, knowing that it's going to at times rub people the wrong way, and yet it's there all the same. Will the love of Christ define Green Tree Community Church? How will the transforming love of Christ that we see Paul pray for and we've seen in these passages, how will it empower us? How will it How will it? Hit and 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 control our imagination, our our passions and our dreams. We asked you last week to fill out a little card, and we're going to share some of that next Sunday. Uh, some of the thoughts about what we could imagine a green tree in the next several years. But will our giving create opportunities for the gospel to move forward, for it to change lives? Would we dare risk to truly become a home? In this part of St. Louis, where everybody is welcome, regardless of socioeconomic standing, regardless of race, regardless of of background, we really want to be a light shining on a hill. If so, we will invest ourselves to that end. Will we really be a church that gives care and service for those truly in need? And will our giving reflect that passion, the passion of the gospel? We began with a story of love, a story of a family that wanted to adopt and how God answered uh, their prayers and how God made that happen. Uh, We're going to begin to wrap up here with the other half of that story. Uh, There's a back half to that conversation uh, from the perspective of the other couple. Uh, And I want you to hear that part of the story. And I'm also wise at the end. I'm not going to try to do it. Tammy Higgins is going to help us out with this part of the story. I think I may have just covered up your notes.
5: If you were a parent of five children without a lot of money to spare, would you consider giving away $10,000? That's exactly what one couple felt like God was prompting them to do. Ernie and Rebecca were new to their city and just starting to get involved in their new church. As part of Pastor Appreciation Sunday, they picked up an appreciation card with the name of a pastor they did not know. It is always difficult to buy a gift for someone you don't know, especially an appreciation gift. So their immediate thought was to get the pastor and his family something simple, like a gift card. However, God had other plans for this encounter. He did not want this appreciation gift to be a modest transaction between two people. He wanted it to be a transformational gift that would leave a permanent impression on both of these families. As they were praying about what gift would be most appropriate, they sensed that God wanted to do something special through this gift, and they sensed that they might have to step out of their comfort zone to follow his plan. Several days later, Ernie and Rebecca still did not know what to purchase for the appreciation gift. However, as they were exploring their new city, they ran into the minister and his wife, and after striking up a conversation, they began talking about a financial stewardship class that was being offered in their church. The minister and his wife noted that they had been paying down their debt for nine years and were only $10,000 away from being completely debt-free. Once they reached that goal, they planned to buy a trampoline for their children and then start the process of adopting another child. After a few more minutes of small talk, the two couples walked away. Although the minister and his family knew nothing about it, Ernie and Rebecca were waiting to hear from God about the gift they should give. Soon after walking away, Rebecca said to her husband, we should get them a trampoline for their kids. (laughs) But Ernie had a different idea. He said, when I heard them speaking, I very clearly sensed that God was saying, take away their debt. After further prayer and conversation, they were sure that this was God's plan. They eventually presented the minister and his family with a check for $10,000. And after handing over the money, they both thought, what a tremendous thrill an incredible joy not just to give someone money but to play a part and be included in the secret plan of the God of this universe
0: giving does not uh, solely define us as Christians but giving does reflect the degree to which we have experienced the love of of God in Christ Jesus. So my prayer for us this week is that we will approach uh, this not as, okay, this is the time of year where the church is got to figure out its budget, and I'll try to figure out what my part is, but Lord, help me to understand how much love Christ has had for me, and may my giving reflect that love, that compassion, and that mercy. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, your name alone is to be praised above every name. You are the one who became poor so that we who were poor could become rich in your grace and mercy so that those of us who were dead in our trespasses and sins could be made alive by your grace. Uh, the investment that you made on behalf of lost sinners like us could never begin to be measured. Father, we, we don't want to uh, manipulate. We don't want to uh, in any way dishonor uh, giving to your kingdom. Lord, we want to celebrate it we want to rejoice in the opportunity you give us to be partners with you and so lord i pray for all of us uh, as a congregation that in this next week uh, as we uh, prepare to bring our pledges for next year that you would be at work in our hearts not for guilt uh, again not for manipulation but to show us your love and to help us imagine what that love could do uh, as we give ourselves to you and give ourselves Uh, to this community and to this region for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.